So these are great opportunities, and I do strongly encourage you to be praying for them. And um, it'll be cool to have them come back and say, these are some of the things we learned. These are some of the things we experienced. And I will say to you, some of you have lived up in that area. As someone who has lived up in that area, it's a very different environment than the Toms River environment. So, but it's a great environment. It's a great place to go. Some of us also received reference calls, and it was great saying they're good to go. And I got the reference calls for Connor. I said, it's good to go. Allison is there to keep an eye on them. So, no, no, they were, they were happy to have them. So we're, we're excited. We're really excited for what God is going to do this week coming up. And so looking forward to hearing how God works in them. Well, this morning we want to wrap up our series the red letters and talking about the words of Jesus. And as we are finishing up, particularly this week and last week, we're honing in and focusing in on what I think are two of the key passages of Jesus. Now, we're going to be looking at Matthew 28 today, the end part, that passage that we typically call the Great Commission. I'm also adding to that Acts 1-8, but we're going to look at the couple verses before that, so Acts 1 verses 6 to 8. So these two passages, particularly in Matthew and Acts, are those verses that we would kind of reference as the commissioning of the church. And Matthew 28 is that passage that most people call the Great Commission. Now what's interesting as you kind of look at these verses, each of the Gospels wraps up with a bit of a challenge. But Mark and Luke, something similar to what takes place in Matthew 28... But in John, it's a little bit different. John closes with the restoration of Peter. And as God closes with the rest, or as John closes with the restoration of Peter, we see the challenge to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, love them, care for them. And then you have that interesting, and John finishes with that simple statement, it says, and, and John, or Peter turns around and, and looks at John and says, well, Lord, what about him? And the Lord says, don't you worry about him, basically. But the way the Lord said it, he kind of left it as an open statement. And everyone started to think, he's going to live until the coming of the Lord. And he's going to see the return of the kingdom and the return of Jesus. And, and then Peter goes, that's not what he said. Do you ever have those times when someone says something and everyone interprets it to mean one thing, but it's not a, at all what was said, but because of the way it was said, everyone carries that and thinks it means something else? And John just corrects him and says, that's not what he said. That's what they thought. It's not what he said. But each finishes up with that challenge from Jesus, kind of those closing words. So words of restoration, reconciliation, words of encouragement, but also words that say we have a mission to fulfill. Now for me personally, I particularly in my life look at the verses that we are going to look at today in Matthew 28 and also the verses in Mark that we looked at last week. What we, so we see the great commandment and the great commission. Last week we looked at the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And for me as an individual, these have been my defining life verses for the last about 38 years. As I have sat down and wrestled through what God's calling was in my life, and what my purpose and life mission was, as I wrestled through those things, 
God pretty clearly brought me to these two parts, these two verses, and kind of started to drill down in my life. Andrew, your mission is to work in my church and help people to learn to love me with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to help my church to learn what it means to go and be a witness for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, making disciples and calling people into relationship with me. And so for me, as I kind of walk my journey, these two verses have defined what I'm about and what I live for and what God has called me to in my journey. And I would also say that most pastors, as you will talk to them, if you were to ask them, what are the defining verses for the church that really help us as a church to understand why we exist and what we're supposed to do, most pastors would probably look at these two sets of verses And they would say, these are the verses that give us our marching orders that define why we're here and what we're to accomplish. So I really felt that if we're going to wrap up our conversation on the red letters, we couldn't wrap it up without talking about these two sets of verses. So last week, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and alongside that, love your neighbor as yourself. And then today, Matthew 28. So I'd like to start at verse 16. Jesus told the disciples to meet them in in this area, and they go and they meet him there. And then we read, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll jump into it. Father, as we prepare to look at your word today, Lord, I would ask that you would just guide our time, that you would build into us again and again and again, and through the things in our conversation this morning, the character and the substance of Christ that you would build into us a passion and a desire to see hearts and lives transformed, that you would build into us a desire to walk with you and to know you and to have you work in and through us. Fathers, we look at this challenge that Matthew closes with, these final words that he wants us to walk away with and hear and take to heart. Father, I would ask that you would guide our time as we process through that. And then as we look at those opening words that Luke put there in Acts, that kind of gave shape and direction to all that took place in the book of Acts. Father, guide our time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Do you ever have those times when you're involved in conversations or you're involved in doing ministry and you feel powerless? You don't need to feel that way. Where you feel awkward and uncomfortable, like you're out of place, like you don't belong. You don't need to feel that way. And you shouldn't feel that way. Why? Because you are marching under God's orders, Jesus' orders, and Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and 
on earth. There is no higher authority to which we can appeal or to which anyone can appeal. Now, in our country, we have a series of courts. And as people are pursuing things, and as two things go on in our culture, number one, if there's an injustice, or if someone is seeking to legislate or or prosecute a case because they're trying to help shape how law is interpreted, they keep on running it through the courts. They start at lower courts, and they push it, and if they, if they lose, they then take it to the next court. And if they lose, they then take it to the next court. And they keep on pushing it and elevating it up until we get to the final court, which is the Supreme Court. And as someone works through the court process, and ultimately they land in the Supreme Court, and so in the state of New Jersey, there's a Supreme Court in the state of New Jersey, and in our nation, there's a Supreme Court in, this, in our nation, as you all not understand. As we bring our legal cases through the various court systems, once we land in the Supreme Court, we recognize that once someone gets there, there's not a court above that. There's no higher authority. There's no greater place to bring an appeal to have it heard. That's the final destination. And Jesus is saying, there is no higher area. There's no one above me. The Father has placed all things underneath of me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been placed in my hands. Now, I am sending you. I'm going to send you forth. This is a commissioning coming from the highest authority that you are called to go. Now, do you always feel that way? If you don't feel that way, the problem is not the commissioning. That's an issue that you need to wrestle through with God because it's not God's problem. Because he's given you the authority. It's something you need to work through and process through to understand that you have been commissioned and given authority to declare the word of God and to share the hope of Christ. Now, will minor authorities, secondary authorities, try to silence that? At times. But, I know you all don't play cards and that kind of stuff, but if you were ever to play cards, there's this thing called trump. You just take it out and you have the trump card. You have the trump card. And you play the card. Now, they may not like that card. They might object to that card. They might seek to penalize you because of that card. But you have the trump card. As far as God is concerned, you're right in line with him. You're doing exactly what he's called you to do. Now, it goes on. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, we read this, and this is very familiar to us. We have been spending the last 2,000 plus years reading this, and, oh, we, we get it. 
we're supposed to go to all the nations. For the disciples, this is slightly new. Because as Jewish men, they were focused in on a Jewish community and they didn't really interact with and deal with other people. They weren't like them. They were different. And they weren't as important. Again, we talked about this last week. And we touched on this a little bit with the Good Samaritan and, and, and how the Samaritan wasn't welcome because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were part Gentile, part Jew, and because they were part Gentile, they were persona non grata. We don't like you. We don't want you around. We'll tolerate you because we have to, but we don't want to deal with you. You're outcasts. You're outsiders. And we're not going to interact with you as much as possible. Jesus is shifting the framework. Guys, I want your eyes on our world. I don't just want your eyes on the Jewish community. I want your eyes on the world. Now, this is different because up to this point in time, Jesus' ministry has been to the Jewish community. Jesus' ministry did not go beyond the walls and the boundaries of Jerusalem, or excuse me, Judea. The, 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 the Jewish community. He didn't, it didn't really go beyond that. Now, he came through and spent some time with the Samaritans, but overwhelmingly, his ministry was to the Jewish community. All authority has been given, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Now, we talk about that word disciple. And here's one of the things I want you to recognize. And we're going to talk about this also in a few minutes when we talk about Acts 1.8 when it says, and be a witness. But a disciple, we're not just talking about someone who's made a decision for Christ. We need to help people come to that point in their journey where they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago as we talked about this and I had my grandfather's cross sitting here. And, and as we kind of talked about that, as we looked at John, John 3.16, and then we went on, and it says, And Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was condemned already. The world is already condemned because of their sin. And so the cross is here, and there's a light that pours out from it. But people who want to resist the gospel of Jesus Christ live in darkness, and they don't want to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. But the reality is we are called to be a witness. We are called to be a light. And what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us. You can see that? To come over here. And to start to bring some light around. Now, do you ever go outside, maybe in the dark, maybe during the day, and you turn a rock over? <laughs> you ever do that? Now, maybe it's just things boys and kids do, little boys do. But I've done that a bunch of times. Maybe some of you ladies haven't done that, or, you, or you've been, you've been, it's been imposed upon you as someone turns something over and picks something up you don't want to see. But here's the reality. You go, to, you go to those places where there is darkness, you turn a rock over, and all of a sudden you see stuff underneath that rock, <laughs> scurry. <laughs> and it wants to crawl back into those places where no light is shining. Or you take a walk at night, 
And there's that stuff that you hear kind of skittering around you and every once in a while you turn that flashlight and you see a set of eyes looking back at you, but they don't want to come into the light. They don't want to really be visible and seen. But we have been called to go and make disciples, not just calling people to put their faith and trust in Jesus, but the objective is that we would help them to become who Jesus desires them to be so that they would be at this place and they would come to that point in their journey and said, I recognize I need a Savior. I recognize that I'm a sinner far from God. I need forgiveness of sin. I recognize that only Jesus offers me that forgiveness of sin. And I'm starting to turn and orient myself towards the cross of Jesus Christ. And then the finishing process of that journey is we then help them through the process of the discipleship to start to navigate from where they are over here to start to navigate their journey to enter more and more and more into the light of Christ so that more and more and more their life is being characterized and shaped by the truth of Jesus Christ so that more and more their life is being lived in the light of Jesus Christ as opposed to being lived in the darkness that exists over here. That's what discipleship is all about. It's helping people learn to walk learn to know Jesus, and then to learn to walk with Jesus and to live with Jesus on a daily basis because their lives are being changed and transformed by the work of God. And as we come alongside and encourage them and help them and cheer them on, that's the discipleship journey. And we are called to help people in that journey. Now let me shut my light off before the battery dies. Now here's the good news. My battery dies, but the light of the cross doesn't. It should always shine. We should always be letting it shine through us. And so Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to go out to where these people are far from me. And I want you to bring the hope and the message of Jesus to them. And then I want you to help guide them to what it means to be faithful and devoted followers of mine. Now, there's a couple things that Jesus says are important in this journey. The first is this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So as a church, I'm going to write up there, where the cross is, there is a baptistry, and we baptize people. Why do we do that? Because Jesus tells us to do it right here. Because as we look at the biblical process, and as Jesus is talking about this, There is something that happens as a person publicly identifies himself with Christ through baptism. They are saying, as a person is being baptized, that is the biblical declaration. Oftentimes you'll enter a church or other setting and someone's going to say, raise your hand, walk forward, and there's a celebration, there's rejoicing. But biblically, it's not just raising your hand or or, or saying publicly, I'm a follower of Jesus. The public declaration biblically of a person's identity with Jesus Christ is through baptism. And the importance of baptism is it's symbolic. It recognizes someone's death as they're placed into the water, and then it represents their new life as they're brought up out of that water. Now, I'm using two hands because often you're holding, I do this, and you put your one hand behind someone, another hand in front, and you help them. So I'm, I'm just making believe I'm doing baptizing somebody you watch that but that's what's going on that new life is taking place someone being recognizing they've 
they're dead to their old person and they're now alive to Christ. They're alive, there's a new life. And biblically, baptism is that way that biblically we identify that transition that takes place in our life from someone who did not know Jesus as their Savior to someone now who does know Jesus as their Savior. So why do we baptize? Because Jesus tells us to do that. And he says to do that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Identifying the triune nature of God. Now, we talked about this a couple, uh, last week we talked about the Shema. And the Shema was that part in Deuteronomy where it says, Behold all Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the nation of Israel is very, very clear. They got it. There's one God. And we continue in that conversation. We recognize there is one God. And yet, there is a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you like me to explain that to you? I can't. I just accept it as true. I don't fully get it. I don't fully understand all those pieces. I can't put it all together. Now, if God could fit my box, he's probably not God. And he thoroughly does not fit my box because my box is way too small for God to fit in. And here's the interesting thing. All of us can put our boxes together and he's way bigger than all of our boxes together. And you can gather all the Christians from all over the world and all of us can put our boxes together and he's not going to fit in that either. Now, if we all have that conversation, we all might kind of understand him a little bit better because we're now looking from a few million, maybe a couple billion facets and directions and we're going to start to... Now, that's the fun part of eternity, isn't it? We all start to understand God from each other's perspective and we see things from different ways and we're going to have the privilege of an eternity to learn about who God is. That's really cool. I don't fully understand how God is both one and yet he is a Father, Son, and Spirit. I don't fully get that. Doesn't all fully make sense, but I rest in it, I trust in it. And Jesus said, we should be baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, identifying the nature of who God is. He continues. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's what's taking place on this journey. See, that's what's taking place in this journey as someone moves from this place over to standing and living in the light of Christ. We're teaching. We're explaining. Someone's sitting over here, I think I want to. And you come alongside and says, well, have you thought about what the Bible says? No. Well, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus taught. And this is what the scriptures teach. So what do you think God might want you to do instead? Oh, well, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way before. I had never really thought about it in that way at all. But now that you're explaining it to me, and now that you're saying that this is who God is, and this is how God thinks I should carry my life and conduct my life, well, okay. So then what you're saying is I probably shouldn't go down this path, but I should go down that path. That's what I'm thinking. Now the person at that point in time has a choice. Now, do we always go down the right path? No. So does that mean we quit and give up discipling and push them aside? No, we just continue to help them and continue to encourage them. Often it's not like a straight line like this. Often it's a line kind of like this. It's, it's like goes and curves and t- twists and turns, but it's not normally a straight, direct line. Why? 
Because we don't always, always do the same right things all the time. And we're not always thinking biblically. We're not always choosing. Sometimes we just get stubborn and say, I want to do it my way. I want to do it the way I want to do it. I don't want to do it the way God says to do it. We get stubborn. That's called sin. We have to confess that and have a conversation with God about that. But we get that way. But the journey of discipleship is helping a person over here, far from God, living in darkness, learning to navigate their journey and learning to navigate their life, a person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, learning to trust Jesus. Now here's what's really cool. Sometimes in this journey, we start to interact with people and we talk to people and as we talk about the things of God, they're not yet ready to put their trust in Jesus, but as we start to talk about biblical values and biblical things, they start to think and they scratch their head and they go, you know, that really makes a lot of sense. I enjoy listening at times to Dave Ramsey. Sometimes he annoys me, but many times I enjoy listening to him. And I enjoy the principles that he lives by. What's very interesting to me is that Dave Ramsey teaches biblical principles about how to handle your money. But he has a very broad audience in our culture. And many people in our culture are not necessarily thinking, oh, Dave Ramsey is teaching me biblical values on how to manage resources. They're listening to him, they're processing the things he's saying, and they're going, oh, oh that makes sense. That's just logical that, you know, he's telling me things that if I do those things and, and practice those routines and practice some of those patterns, it works. My, my, my manage my money gets a little better. How far my money goes, goes a little further. And that's a smart thing for me to do. And sometimes in our journey with people, we start to speak into their lives the things of God. And as they listen to that conversation, they go, oh, that makes sense. And what's really cool is they haven't come to a point of trusting Jesus yet, but they get a little closer to the light. And as they start to think about these things of God, and all of a sudden there's a point in time in this journey where they kind of look and says, man, there's a lot of light over there. And, and, and they are being slowly drawn into the values and the things of the Lord. And somewhere in this journey, almost always, these people start to make a decision and they start to recognize that the person who started to help transform their life is, is Jesus. And they come to the point and say, well, I need to trust Jesus. Jesus is the one who's providing the answers. Jesus is the one who's providing the solutions. I need to trust Jesus, and I need to further align my life with the light of God and the truth of God, and I need to trust Jesus. And all that happens, why? Because Christians are over here helping to disciple people. Now, here's what's important. What's important is that as the Christians are over there discipling, when they go from here to there, what's important is they bring the light with them. The problem is when Christians come over here and leave the light over there. When Christians come over here but leave the light over there, they're not doing any discipling. What they're doing is conforming. They're starting to live according to the pattern of the world. They're starting to align themselves with the patterns of this world. They're not living in the truth of Christ and therefore serving as an enticement drawing people into a relationship with Christ and then bringing them into that place of relationship with Jesus, they're just living secularly. They're living carnally. They're living sinfully. But they're not doing a good job of making disciples. 
We have been called to make disciples. And so we take the truth, we take the message of Jesus, we bring it to those who are far from God, we share the hope and life of Christ, but then we also seek to help communicate those values that God wants us to live in. Now, by the way, we don't impose, we don't communicate these values that you must do this or else. That doesn't work. People far from God hear us do that kind of stupidity, they go, click. Change the channel. But when they listen to us and they see us modeling these values in our lives, they see the reality of Christ being lived out in our lives. They see lives that work. They see relationships that work. They see managed relationships, family and and kids and and spouses, and they are seeing those things at work, and they're seeing these people who also experience turmoil and difficulty, and yet they're seeing peace, and they're seeing contentment, they're seeing hope. Our world looks at that and says, I don't have that, and I want that. I need that. And when we are over here, representing the hope of Christ but carrying the light of Jesus with us we get to live out the reality of that discipleship journey helping people to come closer and closer and then putting their faith and trust in Jesus but being transformed why? because we are called to make disciples teaching them everything I have commanded you and then he makes this great statement Don't forget, I'm always with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. I am always with you. We are never walking this journey alone. Never. You know, there are times we feel alone, and when we feel alone, we convince ourselves that we are alone. We're just lying to ourselves. Because we're never alone. Jesus is always there in the journey with us. Always. And that's a great promise because even as I am over here hanging out with people far from God, carrying the light with me, Jesus is here with me. And the light of Christ is shining through me, but the Lord is present with me in this journey. Now, I need to live in the light of Christ. I need to live in the hope and the truth of Jesus. But I also need to live that light. I also need to live that truth in our world around us so that our world would see and experience the truth of Christ. This is what Jesus has called us to do. This is our mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the very end of the age. That is what we must be about. Because if we're not, we have significantly missed the mark. Then Jesus His final words to the disciples. You see this in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Jesus was around for 40 days, and you have this whole thing going on, and so Jesus dies, and now he's back. And I'm not sure they knew exactly how long Jesus was going to be back. 
and I'm not sure how much Jesus had fully communicated all this stuff. And there, and but Jesus, as he's saying, "I'm about to leave. I just want to let you guys know I'm about to leave." But and then he has this conversation. It says, while he was with them, he commended them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Then we come to these verses in front of us. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? See, that was a major focus and a major perspective that they did ministry with Jesus because Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. And as the nation watched him, as the nation looked, they had the perspective of Messiah coming and restoring the nation, bringing the kingdom. And so they asked this question, Jesus, is now the time? And I love Jesus' answer. It's not for you to know. I'm not telling you. Don't you love that answer? You don't? Don't you love it when someone asks, when you ask someone a question and they say to you, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not going to answer it, but that's a really good question. Next. He doesn't answer. What he says is, listen, that's for the Father. That's not for you to know and understand. That's for the Father. But in the interim time, I have a job for you. Now, you know what stands out to me in all of this? Do you ever get focused and caught up at times at thinking about end time things? You kind of go home and you're doing this. Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back soon. Okay, I know he's coming back soon. I want to be ready. Talking about the rapture. Okay, we know he's coming back soon. Just getting ready. Getting ready. He's coming back soon. Everybody together. All right, let's jump. You know, sometimes churches do this kind of stuff and they don't literally do that, but they kind of say, everybody, okay, everybody up. Let's jump. Okay, we're thinking about Jesus coming back soon. We're going to fix our eyes and think about Jesus coming back soon. And all of that is really good. But Jesus said, I'm not telling anyone because it's not your need. You don't need to know. You're not, you don't need to know. Just don't need to know. But. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that does, guys, you're cooking with gas. You're ready to go. You're gassed up. You have all that you need to do what I am calling you to do. The Holy Spirit's going to light that fire. And out you go. And I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Guys, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he empowers you to do the work I've called you to do, that making disciple stuff that I've talked to you about, when the Holy Spirit comes and anoints you, I want you to be my witness. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to do. You don't need to worry about this. It'll happen when it happens. And when you need to know, you're out of here. But until... But until... What I want you to do is I want you to be my witness here in Jerusalem, around Judea, with the Samaritans, 
and then I want you to bust out the doors, and I want you to hit all over the earth. That's what I want you to do. Now, here's one of the things I want you to know about being a witness. In our court systems, we're brought to be a witness. And sometimes we think about being a witness as standing on the witness stand. But here's what happens when you're a witness on the witness stand. I have been a witness on the witness stand. Here's what happens. You sit there, mum. You say nothing. And then either the defense attorney or the prosecutor asks you a question. And they ask you a question about certain things. And you answer certain things. The particular thing, case I was involved in was an identity theft case with a special needs individual. And I said too much. And the defense attorney said, Your Honor, I object. He's speaking now as a, an expert witness, and he's not an expert witness, so I'd like to strike that from the record. Now, the good news was, the judge said, No, he's been speaking as an expert witness all along. We're going to keep it. The guy won his case, and the guilty guy had consequences. But you're only allowed to speak about but the defense attorney or the, or the one prosecuting the case asks you about. That's not our deal as witnesses for Christ. We get to talk all day long. Did they ever tell you about Jesus? Well, let me see. He was a little boy and then he grew up. and We get to tell the whole story. We get to tell all the details. We get to tell people all about Jesus. We get to tell people about how Jesus has been working in our life. We, get to, we even get to tell people about the things that we're curious about that God hasn't told us yet. We get to tell the whole story. That's what it means to be a witness. And so even as we're hanging out over here, we don't just tell selected little things that we have perceived to have special permission to say. We get to tell the whole story of Jesus. See, we get to be a witness. We get to say, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you all about him. I'm going to tell you from the beginning to the end. I'm going to tell you the high notes. I'm going to tell you the low notes. I'll tell you the stuff in between. I want to tell you about Jesus. And we get to tell people about Jesus. Because why? We get to be a witness. And we get to ask and answer the questions. No one is forcing us to answer only these questions. But what's really cool is when we start to talk to people and they start to ask us their questions. And what's really cool is we get to answer those questions. And we don't have anyone sitting over top of us. Oh, no, 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 you can't talk about that. No, no, no. Oh, you can't be an expert. No, you can, tell, you can say everything. You can tell them the whole deal. See, we have been called to be a witness for Christ. And Jesus has identified where he wants us to do it. Everywhere. Everywhere. Jesus wants us to do it everywhere. And you have the opportunity to do that. So, my son Kyle is in the Air Force. Tomorrow he's leaving Norfolk, Virginia, and he's going to be in Las Vegas for a month. 
Pray for him as he stands on a flight line in full uniform for a month in the heat of summer. So that's what he gets to do for the next month. But here's the good news. As a follower of Jesus, he has the opportunity to tell everybody in Vegas about Jesus if he wants to. Daniel's in South Korea. He gets to point missiles at other missiles that come toward us. I joke around with him. He took the final test. He got around an 85. I said, so that means you're going to get most of the missiles that are coming at us. (laughs) Now, here's the good news. Wherever he is, he gets the opportunity to be a witness. He is literally halfway across the world. When he got on a plane in Texas to fly to South Korea, he literally is on a plane for over 24 hours, and he left, and he landed, he left one time zone at 12 o'clock, and he landed in another time zone at 12 o'clock, but it was 12 hours later. Totally, literally, on opposite side of the world. Totally opposite time zone. He gets to be a witness for Jesus wherever he goes. I've had the privilege of traveling around our country a little bit and doing a little bit of traveling around our world. Everywhere I've gone, I've had the opportunity to be a witness for Jesus. Everywhere I've gone. And Jesus desires the same from you. See, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God empowers you. God enables you. That's what's really cool. God gives us the resources to share the hope of Christ. He empowers us. And then we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts. Wherever God takes us, wherever, wherever our feet bring us. If you like to just get in a car and drive and then you stop someplace for lunch or dinner, wherever your car takes you, you have the opportunity and privilege in that location to be a witness for Jesus. Anywhere and everywhere we go. That's what Jesus desires. These things should define us. We have the privilege of learning to live in the light of Christ. To experience that life-transforming, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And then we get the privilege to take it everywhere to come over to this place in our world where people live in darkness and all of those many places where people live in darkness. One of the places I was located was in Brazil. I went down for a mission trip. Some of you people know about the Alka Indians, Nate Saint, and all that kind of stuff. People in my church in Minnesota knew that members of that tribe personally were in that tribe not too long after all of those events took place. And they had personal relationships with people in those tribes in the Amazon. And one of the cool things, when I was down in Brazil, we were helping a missionary build a house. I had the privilege of getting in a plane and flying with an aviation, a jungle aviation pilot, and we flew out into the Amazon. We landed on a jungle strip. They brought us down to a, a village that they, the missionaries were working with where people were making decisions for Christ whether it's in a spot like that or New York City. The message of Jesus needs to be brought. And I have the video of the plane landing on the, on the strip if you want to see that sometimes. It's really kind of cool. And you're looking around and all you see is trees. And then all of a sudden, this little patch of green grass shows up. And you've got to land there. Kind of fun. But it doesn't matter where you go. In any one of those locations congested or sparse. 
we have the privilege and we have the opportunity to bring the message of Christ. Jesus has called us to that. That's part of why our young people are going to Patterson. To bring the message of Jesus. To be a witness for Christ. And in that journey, what's also happening is they're being discipled. They're being challenged and they're being helped so that they are learning how to more effectively live over here and stand over here in the context of life and bring people to relationship with Jesus. It's a discipleship journey, but it's also an evangelism witness journey. Both of those are huge and important. And that's what we are called for. You get it? All right. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so very much for the rich opportunities and privileges that you give us as followers of Jesus. And Father, I would just ask that as you continue to work in our journey, as you continue that process of seeking to transform us, Father, I would ask that you just work in us in wonderfully crazy but wonderfully great ways. Father, build into us a passion to share the hope of Jesus. Build in us a passion to be a witness wherever Jesus might place us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The mic isn't on yet. There we go. I'm going to guess that Matthew 28, 19 to 20 is not news to most of you. It's not the first time you've heard it. But what I want to encourage you to think about today as you leave What are you doing about it? Where is your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and and to the ends of the earth? How are you going to those places to share the news of Jesus with people? See, because it's not enough to just take money out and drop it in the offering plate and say, ah, yes, God's called them to go do that. He's called all of us to it. And not just to to one spot or another. He's called all of us to to tackle all of it. Somehow, some way. And some of it might be by giving. Because we can't physically go somewhere. We're all called to be a part of that Great Commission. And so I I would really strongly encourage you today to spend some time thinking about how you're going to engage that mission. In a moment, we're going to take our offering. It'll come from the back forward. Um, As the plates pass you, feel free to stand and join us as we sing one last song. Allow me to pray for us. Father, you've made it clear your commission. You've told us what the mission is for us, that we are to go, that we are to, to make disciples of all nations. And we're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded. And Father, I would ask, I would plead with you that you would not let us rest today until we hear how it is that we're supposed to be a part of that mission until we hear your voice telling us how we're supposed to engage it. There are opportunities everywhere. There are opportunities in our communities. There are opportunities in our schools, in our workplaces, 
but there are opportunities beyond where we live. And you've told us to engage in all of it. So I ask that you would they would not let us rest until we've until we've taken the time to listen to where you're telling us to go. Fathers, we give right now. We ask that you would use what we give this morning to further the exact thing that we've been talking about, to further the gospel here in this community and around the world. Father, we ask that you would multiply what is given this morning and that you would use it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.